Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi, a returning guest, the always great Anita Foster. She's the Senior Director of Communications and Marketing for the Tarrant Area Food Bank. How are you today? I'm doing terrific. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Um, So you were on kind of recently, but you're back. We're going to talk about the food bank. Yeah. But you are also responsible for hooking me up with Team Rubicon. I'm so glad that... Not only that you had the, ch- the chance to, to learn about them, but that everybody did. You know, disaster relief is something that I committed 20 years of my life to. I still work in disaster relief uh, with the food bank. Years ago, when Team Rubicon was, was very new, they were just starting out on the landscape. You know, as a Red Crosser, I'd run into them in debris fields. And they were small teams, and, and TJ talked about that. William Porter talked about that. Um where they would just, they were almost uh, special operations units, if you will. So there would be a small group of Team Rubicon members come come to a relief effort. And then over the years, we started seeing more and more of them show up. Uh, I worked directly with them during Superstorm Sandy. Mm. Uh, I was on Long Island. That's where I was assigned. And there were Team Rubicon members there just doing whatever they could do to help. Uh, then in West, when the fertilizer plant exploded, uh, tornadoes across the landscape, So I've really had an incredible pleasure to watch them grow from their infancy. And then I joined them uh, back in December as a volunteer public information officer. So I've had an incredible inside view uh, of this organization that started really with a couple of Marines that today has very solid core competencies and actually grew by 20,000 volunteers just since Harvey. So it's astronomical now. There are well over 60,000 Team Rubicon volunteers I was going to, we, we, you gave me that number uh, off mic and I was, I was hoping that you would bring that up again. Can organizations like this almost grow too fast? No, um, not with a solid plan. And so anyone can grow too fast, but it's a, it's only a drawback if you're growing without vision or if you're growing without financial support or without a plan on how to implement growth. They seem really locked in. They like are. it seems like it's really like this seems like it's going to be something that I would say right now most people hadn't heard of Team Rubicon. Right. It seems like it's going to get to that kind of Red Cross thing where you you just you associate it with disaster and you know they're gonna be there. I think it's great. And one of the things that I've observed and why I'm quick to say no, it is not gonna grow too fast is because I have been inside and I've I've talked with the leadership and I've watched the plans and and I've seen them play out and understand the goals and the goals are solid and any business that has solid goals and a clear vision has a great shot of success team Rubicon is also it's 
it's accomplishing such amazing work. Uh, and I know William talked a lot about the domestic mission and the international mission, but for the families affected, it is filling a gap that is not that easy to fill. You know, if you are um, a senior citizen or if you're me, I don't own an axe or a chainsaw. I mean, those are just not things in my toolbox. Right. And, and you know, I'm a disaster worker. I got a pretty good toolbox, but I don't have those things. And so if a tornado hit my house and there's a massive tree on it, I have no idea who is going to come help me get that tree off my house. Right. And when Team Rubicon, and I mean storms in because they're a force to be reckoned with, they will take a strike team, as they're called, assemble that team together with all of that heavy equipment, uh, wheelbarrows, um, axes, all of those types of tools, and they will just go to a home, swarm it, clear it out and hours later it's a completely Does it feel picture. like a military operation when you see it happening? Definitely. And I'm not military, but I come from precision. You know, that's been a part discipline and response, teamwork working together. It's it's different than I experienced at the Red Cross. But it's the same in that you understand you have to come together with complete strangers overnight and form incredible teams that work in harmony. There's just no place for anything outside of discipline and precision. And I have seen that with Team Rubicon. Amazing. When uh, William was talking about deploying the boat teams, I mean, I was there for that. And it was just, it was insane in 24 hours to be able to turn around a need that was expressed by the government officials on the coast that said, qualified people with boats, get here. Well, we're Team Rubicon. We're made up of people with a, a really unique set of skills and that was just one of them so it was really really amazing to see that happen and to also start to see Irma form as we're sitting in the National Operations Center on the radar and we're looking at that radar and we're saying you know what let's go ahead and start making calls now to government leaders in the states that could be impacted and determine if our boat teams will be needed. Now we have them. I think the last time that you were here, Harvey had just hit, yes. and we saw Irma coming. And you, I think that you were seriously in that process of like these guys are—they're just. I think they were just finishing up their work in Houston, like that initial blast of work that they needed yeah, to do. Yeah, that first wave. And it was like getting the trucks and just go straight to Florida, just Absolutely. drive to Florida. It was wild, and and it was um, across the board. You know, for us at the food bank too. You know, it was the same picture. It's like, wait a minute. You know, there not just another hurricane, another massive hurricane. And so, yes, to see Team Rubicon take a skill that was only developed a few weeks before and now offer it as a service to to local governments and to communities that were going to be in harm's way was pretty amazing. But that's what I really appreciate and what I've I've come to love about Team Rubicon. They're very nimble, able to move, able to make decisions, um, and, and able to fill a space in disaster relief uh, that that there are organizations and a lot of them that, that go out and do cleanup and debris removal and things like that. But they just add a, a new dimension. It, Not though. There's just nothing the way that they do it. I think one of the, the things that I've been most emotionally impacted by is the passion. The folks that go out there are are I mean, they're beasts. They're men and women, and they just go out, and they literally have a phrase, we just want to get dirty. 
they don't mind doing the heavy lifting because they they want to be a part of a team. It is it is as much about teamwork with Team Rubicon as it is about the mission. It's equally important that you bond together with your brothers and sisters. And that's immediate. I walked in on my very first day as a volunteer at Team Rubicon, and I was a stranger to nobody. I immediately was put to work in my discipline, in my skill set, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, Anita go filled some interviews. I'm like, y'all know I have no idea what I'm doing, right? <laughs> like, I'm new here. First day. And they were like, just go for it. And, you know, I was empowered and enabled and, and resourced. I had everything I needed. Mm. That's the, the Team Rubicon way. Support, resource, and enable the, the volunteers and the teammates so that we can get on the ground or get to our discipline, carry it out so that people affected get service and they get it right away. I loved, in my previous conversation with William, we, we talked about the response that you guys had in Houston and he was, he was like, you know, it had happened real quick and we needed boats. So we just went and bought boats. And I yeah. asked him, I said, well, <laughs> I was like, what about donations? And I honestly meant like some guy in the neighborhood had a bass boat that he was going to let them like donate for the, you know, for a while, like borrow this boat. He was just like, no, we just bought boats. And we went down there and yeah. we just did it. And so just the idea of not even wasting time of trying to, oh, I got a buddy that we can do this, like blah, blah, blah. It's just, no, go buy a boat, get it on a trailer. I'll tell you, because, uh, you know, and I get this too, coming out of a disaster relief background, logistics are everything to your success in disaster relief. The more things that match, the more things that fit on a pallet that are uniform, the better and more efficient a response. And so rather than just going out and saying, you got a boat and you got a boat and none of these boats can fit on the same trailer. Yeah. We, we got six boats and six trailers that match. And that means no matter where you go, you can take your assets, you can get them there, and you can get them home. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty amazing. Like yeah. I, I know that you're really into this organization. Absolutely. I could I could tell that he is full beans. Like it it it's it's got like a real exciting feel to it, and it's going to get bigger and better. And there's a Definitely. lot of work to do. I'm glad that you're helping them out. Oh, I love it, and I would just encourage anybody uh, to to investigate. You know, if you're looking for a volunteer opportunity, and you're a first responder, military veteran, or a civilian, I'm a civilian. You know, I have a unique skill set to help an organization like Team Rubicon. Um, but I think William pointed out too. We all have a unique skill set. And so civilians are just as welcome as anybody else at Team Rubicon and 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 using what your um, expertise is. Maybe it's supply chain management. Um, it could be marketing. I mean, there are just a number of different things that professionals can do to help Team Rubicon. And so I just encourage people, if you're looking for something to do, you know, just in disaster relief, make that one of your options to explore. Well, because you're not busy enough no, with, no, no. with, with <laughs> all that you're doing with Team Rubicon, we need to talk about the Tarrant Area Food Bank. Yes. Uh, as I've mentioned, you're the Senior Director of Communications and Marketing for them. You guys are always doing a lot and you're always feeding a lot of people. You know, we, we were talking about what this organization has done for you personally off yes. mic and how this you've been around relief in different capacities for a really long time but you said that that specifically focusing on hunger and, and trying to help feed people has really changed your life you know i i knew food banks through my role at the Red Cross. I, I worked on a really incredible team that still exists today. It's called the Mass Care Task Force. It was a partnership that was born after um, 
Hurricane Katrina, actually, in 2005. Hurricane Katrina was so massive and still to this day the largest relief operation in Dallas-Fort Worth history. We had over 28,000 hurricane evacuees registered with the Red Cross Hmm. in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. That was a lot of people reaching out, needing service, and one of the needs that most people had was food, especially those that maybe had friends or family or were staying in a hotel in the area. They didn't necessarily need a cot and the shelter, but they needed food. And so after Katrina was over, the CEO, she has since passed away, um, sadly, Jan Pruitt with the North Texas Food Bank, communicated with my CEO at the time, Cheryl Sutterfield-Jones from the Red Cross. And those two leaders sat down together and created an idea where we would always work in harmony as nonprofits during times of disaster when it came to what's called mass care. It's just what it sounds like, care for the masses of people. And so through some dialogues, the Mass Care Task Force uh, became the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the North Texas Food Bank, and Volunteer Now. Mm. Each one of us had a very defined role in disaster. The Red Cross's role was sheltering. North Texas Food Bank's role was feeding people, as well as the Salvation Armies. And then Volunteer Now helped manage all of the volunteers that saw the disaster play out and wanted to get involved. That still goes on to this day, activated just recently during Harvey, during DFW relief operations. That's when I really started to understand and learn about hunger, but I still did not get the full picture um, until I joined here in Area Food Bank earlier this year. And it the mission of feeding people is so massive We provide access to 500,000 meals every week, every week. It's crazy. And if that doesn't speak to the need, that's 25 million a year. Um, You know, so it's really just it's it's gotten so deep in my soul. I, I told you off mic earlier, no matter what I do and, you know, no one can see the future, no matter where I end up in my career or what I do or 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 anything of that nature. I will support hunger relief with my volunteer work, with my financial donations for the rest of my life. I met a woman just today who has a great job. You'd look at her and you would never, ever know her story. She came to an event with the food bank today carrying a blue igloo cooler. And she told a story of how she went to Walmart in 2007 And she paid $14.95 for her blue cooler. And it was because she didn't have food. And she would go to work. She's representative of who hunger is. People who work. She had gone through a divorce, had two kids, was trying to make ends meet, and had several jobs. So she would drive from one job to the other job to the other job. And she said, I had to make a decision. I had to pay my for my car, I had to put gas in it because I had to get to my jobs. You know, my kids, you know, they had to get to school and all those, you got to have a car. Mm -hmm. I had to pay my utility bills because I can't do anything and get to work if I can't get myself ready with my electricity. So you start 
having to make decisions on where you're going to cut when there's just not enough. And her decision was food. So she took her, her blue cooler to work and put it under her desk every day so that when a colleague came by and said, hey, Nick, you want to run to lunch? You're like, no, no, I brought my lunch. And she would, and the cooler wouldn't have anything in it. And I, that was just today. And I think that story will live with me forever because that is who the face of hunger is. It's somebody you actually know because it's one in six people in the Metroplex. That's a higher statistic than most of the rest of the country as well. But one in six and one in four are children. So when you're looking across your kid's school or the, you know, the youth group at your church or you're at a baseball game, just look around and say one in six people, you know, just doesn't get enough food to eat on a regular basis. Those can be senior citizens, children, um, you know, families. Uh, veterans, one in four veterans goes without food. And that's just not acceptable in a country that is the most lucrative on earth. Was that woman that you, that, that story you told, was she getting food from the, the was no. she working, volunteering she, with you guys now? This is so amazing. So she's an advocate for hunger and she works for a company that raises millions of dollars every year nationwide. And she's spearheaded the nationwide effort with her company on hunger. Really? Yeah, we're going to give them an award they don't know yet, so I can't tell you who they are. <laughs> but they'll be getting an award soon. Do you feel um, like you run into those kind of stories more and more when you're doing this type of work? Yeah. I mean, that's an unbelievable story, and you said that happened today. That was just today, and it does happen all the time. We were at a, a pantry just a few weeks ago, and we ran into this woman who's 73 years old, just an amazing spirit, upbeat, positive, standing in line for her every two weeks. Uh, where she, you know, gets her box of fresh produce and other foods from the pantry. But she just said, it doesn't matter what shows up in my produce box. I can cook anything better than anybody else. And I believe her. <laughs> I would, you know what? I don't know this lady. I'm going to believe I her know. too. I'm, t- I'm telling you, it was just such a positive attitude. But she understood. She's a senior citizen on a fixed income. Mm-hmm. And for someone like her, she had to decide, you know, medication or my food. And she just said, you know, she's very grateful for the food bank. Uh, supplying food at Tarrant Area Food Bank. We supply resources to uh, about 270 food locations Mm. across the area. And that was one of them. And every two weeks she goes and she gets her supply of fresh produce. And that's something, too, I don't think most people understand. Like the nature of food banking has dramatically changed I think there still like images of dented cans. I still think of canned of food every time I think of a food bank. I still yeah. I have talked to you about this organization yeah. before, <laughs> and I still just mentally I think canned corn or whatever it is. Well, we definitely but, still have. People well, of that course you do, cans, but but people don't like you're but saying. That's not it. I mean, that's right. not even. It, I'm just really. This makes me really proud because nutrition has become part of the mission of food banking. It's not just get calories to you. It's get healthy, nutritious food to you. And so as we track statistically today, we don't just don't track how many pounds come into the food bank. We track how much nutrition we're able to distribute. And for us, it's around 10 million pounds a year of fresh produce that we give out. And that's, um, I mean, beautiful fresh produce. We have incredible partners um, from the food industry, manufacturing, 
grocery stores wow. that will make the, keep us supplied because we can turn product really fast. And so if something's a few days away from expiring, it can come off of a shelf at a supermarket to the food bank and to a pantry almost in the same day. I was going to ask if, if it is like a supply thing like that where it's maybe towards the end of its life and new produce is coming in yeah. and they ship it out or if companies actually allot a certain amount of each, you know, let's say 5% of each truck that we send out to the store is five of that percent is going to go to a food bank or something like that. Does it, it work it kind of both ways? It um, is based on expiration of products. Okay. Um, but food manufacturers and those that are in industries like Amazon Prime or Blue Apron, things like that, you know, they've got produce coming in constantly and they always want the freshest produce. And so when they provide their donated product to us, it still has great shelf life. That's what's changed in the food banking industry is the actual food manufacturing and grocery store industries. So together we've all evolved where refrigeration and freezer space is paramount at food banks and it didn't used to be. That's why it was cans and bags. Yeah. But today at Terran Area Food Bank, we are in the midst of a major renovation, which is difficult at the holiday season when we're so busy. But it's critical because we are tripling our refrigeration space and we are doubling our freezer space. So we will be able to go from helping provide about 25 million meals yeah. a year to closer to 55 to 60 million meals You guys are going to double it. Year. Really Pretty much. Wow. So we're excited about that because, you know, I think we all want to believe that we will end hunger. But ending hunger requires that a lot of other issues end too. Poverty, education, transportation. It's a long list of things that lead someone to, to need the food bank. Right. And to need to go to pantries and things like that. So... I think realistically, we the food banking industry in the 80s was really developed to meet a crisis after um, an economic downturn where people were needing food. Yeah. But today, it's a staple in communities to make sure that it's, you know, we say at our, at our food bank, it's not necessarily about ending hunger, but it is about making sure that nobody has to go hungry. You guys have a bunch of stuff on the calendar, always, always. Uh, but we're going to at least <laughs> stick to two of them on November 3rd, which is coming up rapidly. Yes. Uh, you're you're kind of kicking off the holiday food drive season with what is called Kick the Can. Kick the Can. Okay. This is an insane event, and it's so fun. It's in Sundance Square. We've got about 14 teams that dress up in the most outlandish costumes you can imagine uh, they're pirates and ballerinas and star wars characters and mascots from different food businesses and sports teams and i, I just it, it's it's all um hilarious and we do relay races with kick the can so these teams will will they will challenge each other to see who can kick a can down across Sundance Square, the fastest. But the thing with our competition that's different from other relay races, cheating is completely allowed. <laughs> you can bribe the judges oh, and nice. pay them off. To, okay. So, well, I didn't see that penalty. Y'all just keep on running. You know, you, of course you won, even though you might have been a country mile behind. All right. So it's it's all designed <laughs> to be really fun, very colorful, very engaging but with a real purpose. We demonstrate by kicking cans the kickoff of the holiday food drive season. We know this is the time of year when a lot of people want to make sure that 
that, that there's Thanksgiving dinner for everybody who needs it, that there's Christmas holidays, that, that no matter what, you know, can you imagine sitting around your dinner table and not having enough food on it yeah. at the holidays? you got kids. I mean, it's just... You know, it's just too much to think about, and we don't want to. So we um, do kick the can, uh, which is a free event. So if you're in Fort Worth, in Sundance Square, it's on November the 3rd, Friday at lunch, definitely come to the square. We're adding a new component this year, which anybody can do, um, you know, you, you know, even if you're not on a team, because uh, we're doing the new Show Us Your Kicks competition. And so we're encouraging people to wear your craziest shoes. Nice. Down, I've seen everything so far. Like people <laughs> send us pictures on Instagram. And, <laughs> and here's what I'm going to wear. So there are um, elf Santa slippers. There are glittered Converse. There are uh, things that look like they came out of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. For those of us that are old and remember that. Um you know, things from the 70s. It's just hilarious. Really fun cowboy boots. I've seen some of those. So I have no idea what people are going to show up in. But that's free for anybody. Just come down. All the mascots that will be there will be hosting the Show Us Your Kicks competition. Judges will evaluate. And we'll have a good prize for the person who wins. Well, it sounds amazing. And real quick, I do also want to mention on November 20th and the 21st, you have culinary training. Which so, is- yeah, th- th- this is really, really great. So if you or someone you know has always had a desire to become uh, a chef or to work in the Culinary Institute. We actually have a training program in the culinary world at Tarrant Area Food Bank. And I know that's surprising because you think, well, you're a food bank. But we have an executive chef, uh, Manny Vasquez. He trained at the Art Institute of Atlanta, and he leads a, a class of 12 culinary students uh, three times a year through an intensive 14-week training program. And then there's two weeks of internships. During that time, celebrity guest chefs come by. Grady Spears from um, Horseshoe Hill Cafe oh. I came by last week. He's a former chef at the Riata restaurant in downtown Fort Worth. Uh, you know, been on the Today Show and all the different culinary uh, large television programs yeah. and things like that. He came by to teach our students how to make his signature um Chicken fried steak. I did pop through the kitchen that day. <laughs> did you? I did. Yeah, you know, just happened to be passing by. <laughs> um, but he came by Chef Hicks, Keith Hicks, from okay. Button's Restaurant in Fort Worth, John Bonnell from Waters Restaurant. Um, so lots Heavy of hitters. partners. So the students don't just learn um, it, from our team. They have culinary experts that come in and help them, too. So the first step in joining the culinary training program is to attend what's called an information session. And we've got two of those coming up. We've got one on November the 20th, starts at 1 o'clock, and one on November the 21st that starts at 9. You don't have to do them both. Just pick one. We have all the information on the website at TAFB.org. So it is perfect, you know, for those for those folks that you know, or maybe it's yourself, that has always wanted to pursue culinary. Um, one of our students this semester, um, great, she's doing so, so good. Her name is Micah, and she was just telling a story about wanting to go to culinary school. It was always her dream. And she said she looked into lots of different schools, and everything was just so expensive. She said, I just couldn't afford to go, but I knew it's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. There's no charge wow. to come to our program. So the students come for free, but they they really pay their tuition on the secondary part of their training. 
So the first part with Chef Vasquez, they are learning how to make some of the most incredible dishes. Uh, recently, they held at what's called an appetizer party. We had about 120 folks attend, and it was a that's a midterm exam, if you will. And it was the first time they were providing their food products to the public. And they made lamb lollipops, bacon wrapped quail, shrimp and grits. Um, uh, feta stuffed mushrooms. It, it just went on and on. It was it was so good. Um, but we're at that event, and, and Micah was just saying, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do, but I just couldn't. So she was able to do that, and she pays her tuition with the other students by packaging food products that go out to our to our pantries. So we have another chef, uh, Chef Flint. Um, we call him Chef D. Chef D is what is called a production chef. We're a food bank. So we get all kinds of interesting food products and large quantities donated. Mm -hmm. And you can't always just send an 18-wheeler of rutabaga somewhere. So (laughs) Chef D will take these ingredients and he sources them. He does recipe sourcing. He literally just makes up recipes based on what food comes in. And then they turn them into one-pound meals. The students prepare them. They go in containers. They get shrink-wrapped, frozen, and sent out. Maybe they go Meals on Wheels or they go to the senior center or they go directly to a food pantry. So it's never the same dish twice either. So first half of the training, they learn their skills from Chef Manny to make the really fancy dishes and and land themselves really great jobs. And in the second half, they actually help us feed the public. And that's an amazing combination. And so to hear our students say how much it means to them and to hear them talk about being proud to be on a hunger fighting team, that's pretty amazing. Because they go on to work um, at the Bird Cafe, Ashton, uh, the Ashton Depot. Uh, one of our current students actually got hired by Grady Spears just last week. And Amazing. So, oh, yeah, we all cheered. It was really uh, yeah, great. Absolutely. And so that's what we hope for. We want them to go on and be successful and do great things. Well, if you want to earn your culinary black belt, you can do it on November 20th or 21st. If you want to have take part in a really fun event, it's over at Sundance Square. Kick the can. That's happening November 3rd. Details about all of this at TAFB.org. I've been speaking with Anita Foster. She's the Senior Director of Communications and Marketing for the Tarrant Area Food Bank. And she's also basically the same thing for Team Rubicon. <laughs> um, it was great seeing you. Thank you. Great to speak with you again. And please come back. And I need I need Team Rubicon members and okay. I need chefs the next time I see you. Okay. Absolutely. The chefs would love it. Tarrant Area Food Bank, once again, their website, TAFB.org. Anita, thank you very much. My pleasure. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 